the next one we talked about was we asked a, a question that I mean really nobody can answer this. Uh, you could probably do some sort of a regression uh, probability analysis if you had the data, I guess, and, and get like a rough idea. But even then, it's it's going to be an individual by individual choice. And what we're talking about here is how do we assess people to get them back to work, especially in these, uh, you know, nurses are a great example because they're now more than ever under immense pressure. And the ones who are working acute care emergency settings, they're constantly being faced with, you know, depending on your your personality, your sensitivity to such things, you could be faced with a lot of fuel for trauma. So we we asked her whether we should be paying more attention to people who are going into these, uh, like early in the program of nursing, for example, should we be pulling people aside and saying, hey, look, uh, you know, is this, is this really what you want to do? Uh, we're a little concerned because of this and this. And, and, and would there be value in doing that? What did you think of the uh, the question and how she answered it? Um, so I think what we were on on this one, we we were looking at is it value is it is it harmful to put someone back in the same environment, right? Well, first of all, like she said, it is important to challenge the brain to then re-experience an environment and not be traumatized. Yeah, I, I, I like that she started with that. That was a good way to. To make us remember, because the question was very leading, right? Uh. <laughs> it, was, it was, admittedly, yeah. it was. Yeah, and I, you know, yeah, and I think like there's a part of me at least that would love to hear like, no, we shouldn't be forcing people to go mm. back. That's yeah. entirely harmful. Yeah, but um, look at how she, look at how she, how well she played that though, right? She, <laughs> she saw what we were doing, and we weren't being particularly stealthy about it. No, it was a, it was an obvious leading question. And she immediately uh, sought balance, right? So she started with, "Look, this is what uh, this is what trauma work is all about. Sometimes is is re-exposure. So we can't forget that for some people, that might be the best thing is for them mm-hmm. to get back in there. Um, obviously, under you know, you, you would do it if you if it was done properly. We know it would be done a lot slower than it usually is, but." But it was an important point that she brought up, and I love the way she just kind of, uh, kind of slipped the jab there. It made us aware of both sides of it right away. But I also think it, it felt it felt kind of validating not only to to what you and I are doing with the podcast here, but to our larger community, in that we know a lot of people who are soul searching or who are weighing things out about about their career or maybe personal life options or whatever it may be that there's a lot of that personal kind of going back and forth and really having to explore what it is that they want and that that connection with um or the the association with going to something that you don't want or that doesn't feel right that 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 is where the harm is and that is the greater harm than the environment itself maybe and um, and it also it also because that approach also simultaneously kind of validates those who who it is a big passion for, and they want to get back into that environment. They want to to pick up where they left off, and yeah. and, and maybe that's okay too. It's absolutely okay. And 
it's hard sometimes. I think we get lost in 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 what we're doing here, and and it's for both of us. This is a you know this is a passionate thing that you know everything to do with this process is means a lot to me, and I think it means a lot to you. So it's easy to get fired up about certain things, and you see, you know, uh, anybody who's watched or listened to episode eighteen. Uh, with Sheldon Wilson there. I mean, after that aired, I think 75% of all nurses in BC uh, quit their jobs and uh, left and went elsewhere. (laughs) That's the kind of influence the guy has. It's important to, like you said, for the people who, who do have a passion and that, 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 I mean, it's easy for me as a pharmacist. Why I say, I don't, I can do my job. I'm good at my job, but I don't have any, there's no connection like that for me to that job. Mm-hmm. There's no, I'm not passionate about it. I have other interests. I'm interested in this, you know, I'm interested in, in this, this is a way to help people that, that the amount of time I put in, I think just does more than what I can do as a pharmacist. As a pharmacist, I can't do much, you know, maybe 10% of my efforts actually help people. The rest is trying to keep the government and insurance companies at bay. How would, if you uh, had the opportunity to ask that again, would we, would you have asked it differently? Yes, probably. I think, I think the question worked because she, she is such a good conversationalist and she's obviously very, very intelligent. So she saw, she saw what we were trying to do there and she, she just basically kind of laid out what the options would be and emphasize the fact that what we need to do here is provide the healthcare workers in these situations with the ability to have some autonomy in the decisions that are being made about whether they return to work or not. She acknowledged the fact that um, insurance companies are, their job is to get you back to work. They receive bonuses for getting people back to work fast. They don't Mm -hmm. care about whether you're ready or not. They're just trying to, that's their job. Mm -hmm. So what you need to do is somehow work towards either providing people with the information they need to say, look, I, I'm just not ready. And if my IME doctor, whatever says, I mean, I have to return to work, then I'm going to go out and get a second opinion through a, a psychiatrist, whatever I have to do, I'm going to get that note that says, I'm not ready because I don't feel like I'm ready. And nobody's going to know when I'm ready, except me. That's, that's kind of the shift that, that, I think she was alluding to, and it's, it's an important one because we're so far from it right now. Yeah, I, I think so too. I think it enlightened the fact that, that the return to work is specifically just based on that IME that, and that that doctor who we all have to see is not a, not a psychologist, not a psychiatrist, not an expert in occupational health and safety. They have no, um, no training in assessing trauma or PTSD. And I mean, that, that alone should be a, a, a point of contention in the process. Why aren't, especially for nurses, if you're a nurse who's exposed to that much potential trauma, uh, and this goes for anybody who's working front lines, uh, emergency care, paramedics, police, uh, anybody who's, who's exposed to this type of stuff on a regular basis, we need to be keeping a closer eye on 
how much trauma is getting through, how much is building up. There should be a dialogue. And then if something like this happens, yes, they can still see their IME doctor, but that can't be the only voice of authority telling them which way they should go. I think they need information from other sources as well, including somebody who's a professional in assessing trauma. Yeah. You know, and we know individuals from so many different facets of healthcare and it's not all the high, uh, high trauma settings, but it's also a fact that, that trauma is very much how we interpret it on the inside and that it's how it lands, lands on us. That, that is what creates the trauma, not just the event that's out there, but it's the, the reaction in here. Yeah. There's just, just, there was a paragraph from her book. I'm just wanted to read just a couple lines. Cause it, it really, I think it's what we're, we're talking about here and I have it open to, to this page because it's so relevant reactions that are adaptive in a stressful, stressful world, like rapidly perceiving and responding to even small threats can also be handicaps in a calmer environment. Being wired for a future in a threatening world can create a live fast, die young mind and body. And this increases addiction risk in an uncertain world. It's rational not to count on anything too far in the future. However, this type of short-term thinking can lead to impulsive choices like eating one marshmallow now rather than waiting for two later or taking drugs rather than going to school. Alternatively, it can create a rigid desire for control to minimize the chaos. Either way, it makes evolutionary sense that the environments faced by parents and grandparents would affect the genes of their offspring. Being appropriately attuned to the expected level of resources and stress certainly can affect survival. The difficulty comes when those stress settings and the world are mismatched or when ordinary stress is magnified by an oversensitive brain into a sense of uncontrollable stress. Yes. And I think if people can understand that part of it right there, that opens up a, an entire kind of platform to understand the generation of PTSD, uh, why some people reach out for external substances for help. I actually had an interesting experience just the other day. It was early morning. My dog got me up at five uh, and I was up for some reason. So I decided we might as well go for a walk because there's not many people around at that time. And as we were walking, she was kind of doing her business. And I looked ahead and there were three birds on the grass pecking around doing their thing. And we approached a little bit closer and one of the birds looked at us and flew, flew away, far away up onto the school roof that's next to us. And I was like, okay, you know, just kind of thinking about it. And then the other two birds are still pecking away, pecking away, we move a little bit closer. And then one of the next bird kind of looks. And after another step, he flies up over to the fence and sits on the fence to watch us from there. And we get a little closer and the other bird is still down there, pecking away, pecking away, pecking away. Now, this is a, an excellent example of what Maya is talking about here. Depending on the threat of the environment, in this circumstance, a dog and me walking along is the threat. Those birds don't know what our intentions are, but the first bird was obviously from a lineage that was wired to get the hell out of there as soon as it sees anything that resembles a human or a dog. So, and maybe... In a stable atmosphere, a stable environment, when there was no, like that threat was not real, 
then that bird missed out on some more food that it would have got and burnt yeah. some resources that it didn't need. So this, you know, whatever bird survives it, the, has offspring and the, the traits of that, ang- you know, heightened anxiety or heightened awareness gets passed on. And you could see how that would accumulate and accumulate and accumulate. And now we're seeing it in the science where, you know, you can, you can get these heightened senses from living under duress generation by generation until you, you end up. And I've often felt this way myself. I, I, I feel like I'm not really designed for this world. Like I, I honestly feel like, like I would have done better uh, in the medieval times or something as a, like maybe a soldier or, or something like I just, <laughs> I don't like to look at, for, I'm, I'm by my nature, I'm now centered, which puts me at a, at a, a risk, right? Because mm-hmm. I'm aware of, you know, making plans down the road, but it's, my priority is always the present and it, it it's, uh, it's just the way I'm wired. So I think that there's throughout history, if you went back in your lineage there would be periods of peace. You know, the whole village had like, uh, let's say 20 years of good crops. Uh, there was no fighting. There was no wars with other villages. Everybody was happy. Um, the weather was good. All the children born in that time grew up. They had some children. And so you get a couple generations that are very, they're calm. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're calm. everything's pretty good. But things change. And then they're very slow to react because they've never, they just, are not set up for all of a sudden chaos. So we would have went through these periods of evolutionary heightening of the senses and then down to super calm. Right. Yeah. And uh, it's a big factor. I think that that example with the birds is great that it, and, and it, it makes me think about the first responders who, who get so used to the, well, the, the chaos externally, and the flood of adrenaline and dopamine internally that's happening when they're in a, in a trauma setting or in a, whatever that sort of fast paced moment is, but that, that in, it's, it's much more the internal chaos that creates the reactive behavior. And, and that's again, for, from my own experience, that would, that was why taking me out of that environment made it possible, made, made, staying staying clean possible yeah and um and for me going back to our original question for maya for me that outweighed the risk of going going back and the what that risk would would mean that you know the exposure to not only to the drugs but the exposure to the all of the circumstances that would have created that internal chaos that i would then have tried to to soothe yes it show, you show a level of wisdom that is uh, beyond what I've been able to demonstrate personally. And you being able to see that so early and recognize it for what it is, which is a life-threatening situation. That's not an exaggeration. There was a, there's no, really no winning for you if you're to return to that, to that environment. Mm-hmm. It, it would be a war of attrition, basically. Sure, you could hold out for a while. Uh, while these, you know, these little traumas continue to rain down on you with, with the odd medium and large size trauma accompanied uh, mm-hmm. until, you know, your monitoring ran out and uh, 
you started looking around, you had a bad day, you're low on sleep, you need to work another, and you're, fuck, I can't do it. What am I going to do? I'm going to quit. And then that narrowed thinking comes back, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then you're, you're really rolling the dice and you don't deserve that. The people who love you don't deserve it. You know, it's the, you did the right thing based on who you are as an individual and what you were facing. For sure. Yeah. For sure. But it is, it is such a personal decision and it, it uh, lands on each and every one of us um, individually to, to grapple with that. Right. Yeah. 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 I think as long as the person is given the, if they're aware of the options, they're given the support and the time to process what just happened to them. And they've reached a state where they can at least see not going back as an option then that, I'm happy with that as somebody who's involved. You know, if, if I see somebody reach that point of contemplation where they're like, hmm, well, you know, I don't have to do this. I could maybe either take a job that's in the same field, but less uh, chaotic, or I could switch out and do something else. Or I think what once that stage is reached, then, you know, the people who are who are in a position to support that individual have kind of done their job. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. The other thing that she she did mention was uh, she re- reiterated that some of the best healthcare professionals are the ones that are the most sensitive and uh, and that care too much. And I see this on a daily basis with uh, uh, the doctors I work with. Um, some of them are very they have excellent boundaries. They're able to move through patients very quickly, and when they go home, they go home, and you can tell it's not bothering them. Other ones. Not so much, you know, you can tell they want to do more. They feel bad because they don't have the time. You know, the system is hurting them and you can see it. And uh, yeah, again, uh, it's a, it's a case by case basis. And you can't, if you remove all the people who have the empathy and the sensitivity to uh, the environment, then you want to go to that hospital. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> no. And I think you touched on what I would have asked her as a, maybe a follow-up question about boundaries. To me, I think that is a piece that we missed a little bit there. And, and for myself, it was, uh, if I, if I could have changed one thing about my personality, it wouldn't have been the sensitivity. It wouldn't have been uh, how much I, how much I cared and how much I wanted to look after people, but it would have been the boundary setting to know what my limitations were to, to stand to use my voice to stand true to what I believed and what I needed, like when I needed a break or when I needed to say no, I think that would have made so much of a difference as sort of a, some wisdom to impart to anyone who, who may need it. I think that is such an essential thing. If you are a a highly sensitive caregiver, even, even if it's not like professionally, even if it's just interpersonally without the boundaries, then you've, then that, well can be run dry absolutely yeah and from my perspective what you just said those you know setting up those parameters that's the only way i can work as a pharmacist yeah i can't work full time like i i know i have a there's a, a a limit on how many days a week i can work there's a limit on uh the environment that i'll tolerate there's you know there's multiple things that i that i know if I, first of all, I won't get involved in the situation if I don't have the, those already taken care of. But if I see a deterioration of those boundaries where somebody's trying to push me to do more, 
I don't, I don't look at it as a negotiable, uh, something that can be negotiated. It's just, I simply cannot do this job. The, the, the only way I could continue to do this job would, I would have to numb myself out. So then you're kind of back to square one and you're wondering why am I doing this job? Right. So it's, you know, returning in a limited capacity has been my sort of solution where I do, you know, I'll work a job for a little while, pick only jobs that I think I can tolerate and, and kind of go from there. That being said, I, I, I think that I could, I should have moved away from it entirely earlier. And uh, it's just a, it's fear it's fear of change and it's um, it's because it's, it's so comfortable. It's such a comfortable option when I can get it right. But putting myself, when you look at the level of danger I'm putting myself in and what I consider to be, I, I don't believe I have the strength, you know, if for whatever reason I was to go down that rabbit hole deep again with, uh, you know, if it was my drug of choice, I, I don't know what it would take for me to do that. Uh, some sort of catastrophe or something, or maybe a mindset that was, you know, not well because of other factors like lack of sleep, or I don't know what it would be. But if I ever did go back down there, I I don't think that I have any, the fuel left in the tank (laughs) to fight back out again, you know? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I look at it as a, basically as a, if, if I make that decision, that will probably be the decision for better or worse for the here on out. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I don't want to live that way and putting myself at risk. There is, I, it's still unwise. I'll get there. I'll get there. And I, I think, you know, we talked about in the meeting after um, our, our meeting with Maya about the fact that prioritizing the things that are truly important to us, like recording a, an episode with Maya Salovitz, for example, come mm-hmm. hell or high water, uh, that that is a form of setting boundaries too, because it's saying, this is what I hold important to myself. This is what is true to me. This is what I need. This is what I value. And if I don't pay attention to what I need and what I value, I'm t- not only am I missing an opportunity, but I'm also telling myself sort of indirectly that those things aren't important. And it is not holding our own values dear is self-betrayal. It absolutely is. It's the opposite of being on your own team. If you want to win in a battle like this, where most of it is fought in inside your mind, you can't self-efficacy becomes so important. And if your values are defined, I don't care what I would have had to do to make that interview happen. Yeah. You know, once she agreed to to come on the show, I mean that was a that's a highlight of my life, man. Being yeah. able to talk to to somebody that I I just I mean, it, and it it's interesting that that uh, the contrast between having that experience during a shitty work week, you know, and it's like it makes it clear so clear how how much more value I put on, on that experience or put on that experience than I did uh, versus the, uh, my day-to-day at pharmacy. Yeah. And, but yeah, man, you got to stay true. You got to stay true to yourself in that respect. So important. And if we, if, if that's the best takeaway from 
that question with Maya, then yeah, I then I think that's a good a good conclusion to reach, right? Like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah.